what Jesus did for us and the tremendous price that was paid for our redemption. What a cost. What a price was paid. This is what it says in Isaiah 53. Surely he hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of a God and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. And with his stripes we are healed. It's a perfect redemption, isn't it? It talks about we like sheep have gone astray. And it says about the Lord Jesus, he was taken from prison and judgment. And who shall declare his generation? He was cut off out of the land of the living for the transgression of his people was he stricken. He made his grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death because he had done no violence. Neither was any deceit in his mouth. And this is what the Lord did for us. Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. He hath put him to grief when thou shalt make his soul an offering for sin. He shall see his seed. He shall prolong his days. And the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. He shall see the travail of his soul and shall be satisfied. And by his knowledge shall my righteous servant do what? Justify many. Your salvation is much more than forgiveness of sin. You've been justified by the blood of Christ. You've been put into right relationship with God. You can now stand if you accept the sacrifice that Jesus made for you. And you can now have this access that Adam lost. You can receive the wonderful blessing of the Lord. For it says, I will divide him a portion with the great. He should divide the spoil with the strong. Because he hath poured out his soul to death. He was numbered with the transgressors. And he bare the sin of many and made intercession for the transgressors. The Lord Jesus Christ is the central person you and I have to concentrate on. We have to keep looking at Jesus. Because as we keep looking at Jesus, we get transformed. I need to be changed. You need to be changed. There's room for improvement in my life. And I'm sure there's room for improvement in your life. (laughs) We're in a process. God is wanting to glorify you so that you're such a beautiful person that you exude the presence of God. That when people squeeze you, they don't shout at them, you love them. (laughs) So that you become a channel of blessing. You become a veritable household of faith a tabernacle of the Holy Ghost. It's wonderful. I think last time I was here, we looked at five Psalms. I said there was four, but there was actually five. It's Psalm 20 to 24. These are five Psalms. These five Psalms were given by the anointing and the inspiration of God upon David's life. They are exceptional Psalms. The Psalms are exceptional 
And they say they're the most widely read part of Scripture in the church. Why? Because we can identify exactly what this psalmist went through. We've been through some stuff. I don't know how much stuff you've been through. (laughs) But I've been through some stuff. I'm standing here by the grace of God. It's a miracle. And you're all miracles, really, aren't you? And I know some of you that I know some of the stuff you've been through, but you're still here (laughs) by the grace of God. (laughs) Isn't it wonderful? Because we've got a Savior who's not an earthly priest. He's a great high priest. He doesn't operate on 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 an earthly tabernacle, but in a heavenly tabernacle. And he ever lives to make intercession for you. And this name is Jesus. Isn't it wonderful? Sometimes I stray and I get in trouble. And I come back to that mercy seat. And I find grace to help me in my time of need. And if I can try and help you this morning to look. This Psalm 22 has 21 verses in it. And it's almost like David is giving this psalm under the pressure that he's under. And of course, he didn't go anything like through the trauma and pressure Jesus went through. But he's speaking out of his experience, but he's also prophesying of Christ. He's speaking of the seed that was to come. He's speaking of something that he's received. You see, David, why was David chosen? Why was he anointed? Because this young man on Bethlehem's hills got an insight into what Abraham understood. He was of the seed of promise. Christ. Jesus is is as much in the Old Testament as he is in the New Testament. The church did not start at Pentecost. It started right back there with one man, one family, one nation, the whole world. We belong to, the, to a new generation, a new creation. We are not, Paul says in Corinthians, we're not living souls. We've been quickened spirits. Our souls have been saved. And we've been quickened. We've been born of God. We're a new generation. And we belong to a new family. God is our Father. He's begotten us through his Son and to a lively hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. But it cost something. It cost a tremendous price. And this is why we have to I believe, like Smith Wigglesworth used to break bread every day. Why? Because he wanted to remember what the Lord Jesus Christ did in his body and his blood. To reinforce upon his mind that the basis of his faith had been paid for by somebody else, and that's Jesus Christ. He is our Savior. He is the Lord. But he is the great high priest. He's the glorified son of God. And he's the king of kings. And he's the lord of lords. In Psalm 21, 22, you have 21 verses giving you 
fairly intricate descriptions of the sufferings of Christ upon the cross. These sufferings were intense because not only he suffered in Gethsemane, he suffered at the trial, he suffered terrible inflicting wounds and scourging, but now he was, in, he was suffering in a way that seems almost beyond belief. If I read to you, before we read in Psalm 22, what it says in Isaiah, when Isaiah the prophet was prophesying of Christ, and this is what he said at the end of Psalm, uh, Isaiah 52, as many were astonished at thee, his visage was so marred, it was, it was so marred, verse 14, more than any man, and his form more than the sons of men, says so he shall sprinkle many nations, the king shall shut them out at him, etc. And then it says, who hath believed our report? Well, I'm a believer this morning. I'm a believer. I believe in what Jesus did is sufficient to meet every need that I've got and for coming and not only in this world but in the world to come. Jesus has put, has obtained a perfect redemption for you and me. It's perfect. It's flawless. It's absolutely wonderful. Jesus is wonderful. Isn't he? He's just wonderful. In Psalm 22, actually, when this psalm was written, um, it, it had a, it's got a Hebrew title. And this Hebrew title It, well, I, can, I can't remember what the Hebrew is, but I can't even pronounce it. But it means mourning heart. Not the mourning in grief, but M-O-R-N-I-N-G, heart, H-A-R-T, which is a type of roe or deer. And when, and I, I was puzzled, and I thought, whatever is this about, a mourning heart? And then I began to realize that David felt like a hunted heart. He was hunted from place to place. Saul was determined to wipe him out. Why? Because Saul thought he was going to replace him. Well, Saul wasn't wrong because he was going to replace him. But the point about it is you can't fight God. If God decides to anoint Luke, and I think I should be the only anointed one. It's not my, boy, my, my choice to remove Luke, because if God decides to do something, it's going to be done. You see, there are people in the church like Saul. I've seen a few Sauls in my time. I've seen the destruction they cause. And the trouble they cause. 
And you imagine for 13 years, this man, young David, was hunted by Saul. You can read it in Samuel. He was hunted from place to place. He was in strongholds and in Gedi and in caves of Adullam. And eventually he had to flee to Ziklag, a border town of the Philistines and Judah. As you know, there's a famous story in Ziklag. And shortly after Ziklag happened, Saul was slain on Mount Gilboa. But I tell you what, David's te- faith was tested to the limit. Joab, his right-hand man, said to him, on two occasions, Joab said, I'll slay him now and I won't hit him twice. He'll die on one blow, he said. And David said, don't you touch his anointed. You can't touch people at all. You've got to leave them to God. And here is David running, running, running. But of course, it's prophetic of Christ. Because as soon as Jesus was born, Herod tried to kill him. As soon as he preached in Nazareth, they wanted to throw him off a cliff. The Saul elder brother spirit can be very violent. Can't it? And how many times did they try to kill Jesus? And take him, as we said before. Jesus was the great I am. They couldn't take Jesus. It was impossible. He had to lay down his life to be taken, didn't he? But let's look at this Psalm 22. And it opens with this extraordinary statement, doesn't it? My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Not my Lord or my Father. This is Jesus in his humanity, in his extremity. He's been cut off now. You see, Jesus not only suffered in his physical body, in his wounds, the seven bleeding wounds, but he was cut off from the presence of God, his Father. And he's crying out, my God. This is David's son. He feels like, God, you've forsaken me. Saul is going to get the better of me. But this psalm is is changes in verse 22. A big change happens from verse 22 to the end. It goes from light. It goes from darkness to light. It goes from death to resurrection. Isn't it? And I'm coming to see that whatever you're going through, there is a resurrection. You might be going through the night at the moment... But morning comes, the morning heart. The morning is coming, and there's resurrection. Let me read to you something that I, I was really blessed with. This is one of the great revi- Welsh revivalists. The morning heart, the Agilith Shahar. This is part of a message that was preached by the great revivalist Christmas Evans. He says, he is described as the kindly, meek, and beautiful heart, startled by the hunters at the dawn of day. Herod began this hunt as soon as he appeared. The hatred of men, the temptation of Satan joined in the pursuit of Christ. There was always some dog or bull or unicorn 
ready to attack him. And after his first sermon, they gathered about to throw him off a cliff, but he was too fleet of foot, and he escaped. The church have seen the Messiah like the roe or the young heart upon the hills and the mountains, the head of the voice of her beloved. And behold, he cometh, leaping on the mountains, skipping on the hills, sometimes seen at the door near the temple and beside the vineyards. Some in the church referred to seeing him on the mountains of Betha and upon the mountains of Spices, the mountains of Betha being the place of sufferings, the latter the sublime light and glory and honor, where the heart shall no more be hunted. But in the afternoon the hunters who followed the young heart had succeeded in cornering it in the mountains of Betha. Christ found Calvary a jagged, cragged and fearful hill, a mountain of division. He was driven by the huntsmen to the edge of this awful precipice, yawning with destruction from below. And while he was held at bay, all the beasts of prey and monsters of the infernal forest enclosed him. The unicorn, the bulls of Bashan gored him. The lions roared the and the dogs fastened upon him, but he foiled them all. And in his own time, he bowed his head. He gave up the ghost. He was buried in a new grave, and his enemies reckoned upon complete victory. They had not considered him to be a mourning heart. And surely enough, At the appointed time did he escape the hunter's net and stand forth upon the mountains of Israel alive and never, and never to die again. Now he's with us, with Mary in the garden, giving evidence of his resurrection. In a moment at Emmaus, encouraging the fearful and bewildered disciples, nor is it any trouble to go to Galilee to his friends and disciples to the Mount of Olives on the Mountain of Spices, carrying with him the day dawned, robed in life and beauty evermore. That's Jesus. Oh, I was so blessed when I read that. I thought, that is Jesus. What a mighty conqueror. What a mighty victory has been won over all our enemies. He is our wonderful Savior. He is our Lord. These five Psalms to me are, your hand has got five, one, two, three, four, five. They speak to me of the hand of Jesus, the hand of salvation. Isaiah prophet says, my Lord's hand is not shortened that he cannot save. And when Jesus put his hands on people, they were delivered. They were saved. And we have got the hand of God in, in the word of God. It comes to us 
The word comes, Jesus comes to us through the word. You know, if you can move past the the primary of the word of God into start practicing it and meditating it and walking in it, suddenly Jesus will appear and he will touch your life. And that touch will completely heal you. What are you looking for this morning? Do you need something? You need the hand of the Lord upon your life. These Psalms are the hand of the Lord. Psalm 20, Gethsemane. Psalm 21, the battle cry of the church. Psalm 22, the cross. Psalm 23, the pastoral shepherd's psalm. Psalm 24, the glory. Swing wide the gates. When we are in Christ, we sit with Christ. When we're fellowshipping with Christ, we move up. We move up into a new realm in the Spirit. And when you can move into the Spirit, you can hear what the Spirit is saying to the church. And when you can hear the Word of God, faith comes. And what seems so impossible to you on the natural plane, suddenly in the spiritual plane, becomes so easy. The anointing breaks the oak. It breaks the dominion of Satan over your life. Why? Because the anointing, the anointed one crushed the serpent's head. It was prophesied in, yes, it bruised his heel, but his Christmas heaven said he was alive. Never to die again. Isn't it wonderful? We belong to a triumphant church. No matter what you're going through, there's an answer, and it's Jesus. Isn't it wonderful? He suffered for you. Look at these sufferings in Psalm 21. My God, my God, why has forsaken him? I think it's, it's very important for us to understand exactly what Jesus did suffer And important for us to realize that the cry of dereliction when Jesus was cut off. In other words, he he, in words he went to hell really because he went to hell to take the keys of death and hell. Now a lot of people. I remember one minister coming to me and he he said to me in a camp meeting, Eric and Catherine were the camp meeting and this minister. You believe Jesus went to hell. Well, I didn't even know at that time he did. But he thought that I did. Thought it Anyway, I've come to understand that Jesus had to go right down there. He had to make just men perfect. He had to, he had to justify many. Didn't he? It's a matter of justification. See, Satan is illegal. But the righteousness of Christ brings you justice. You need justice sometimes because the enemy can be very unjust and persecute your life and use people like Saul to persecute like Psalm 22 is talking about. But we'll come to Psalm 22 in a minute. But as you'll see, there's a change in Psalm 22. Once suddenly Jesus is on the cross. But in verse 22, he's suddenly amongst his brethren. He's alive. He's suddenly amongst his brethren. The resurrection. What a tremendous thing the resurrection is. It is tremendous. But what is this cry? 
Jesus had to be cut off. Because this is the word that is used by the Apostle John and the Apostle Paul in his Gospel of Romans and in in the Epistle of Romans. This word is propitiate. And this word propitiate is something that I don't think we in the church have really grasped. I didn't for many years. When you study the Old Testament Levitical uh, sacrifices, the first thing those sacrifices did was not to deal with the sin of the, of the person who was offering the offering, but it was to propitiate God. You see, if ever there's a demonstration of God's wrath against sin, look at Adam and Eve. If you think about it, you think about it. If you'd have been God and you created this wonderful world, perfect, you created this man that was perfect, upright, Adam. He was perfect. He had a perfect righteousness, covered with the glory of God. And what God said to Adam was, you take dominion over this, what I've given you. You replenish the earth, you know, be a farmer and replenish it. There's one thing you must not do, is touch the tree of the knowledge and good and evil. Because if you do that, you will die. And a curse will come upon you. Now that's a big statement, but God didn't go back on his word. When he ate that tree, the curse came. Sin and death entered. And the very son that Eve thought would be the seed that would bring them the victory after they they fell, slew his other brother. Think about it. That was the effect of the curse and sin and death. And you think about it. And so the sacrifices, God's anger is demonstrated against sin. He didn't say, well, I don't know whether I can do this because I've spent all this time creating this perfect... I mean, you're fearfully and wonderfully made, aren't you? Just take the eye, for instance. How wonderful is the creation of the eye? And there was a program on TV about the length of your gut. It was enormous, the length of this gut. It went from about there, the whole of this room. It's all inside me, this gut. I thought, what? That's all inside me? Yes, we're fearfully and wonderfully made, aren't we? They say the brain is so wonderful, it could last for a million years. It's so brilliantly designed and made. God is a master designer. But he couldn't speak a word from heaven and say, well, I forgive Adam's sin. He had to keep his promise. And the curse came and sin and death came. But as soon as he came, he had a remedy. That same Christmas Evans preached a famous sermon of imagining you sitting up in heaven and looking down on Adam in the Garden of Eden and saying, if he, will you go and redeem man? And Jesus said, I will go. So in other words, God could not just speak a word to redeem you. He had to pay a ransom price to buy you back. And that cost him his son. Now this is something, you know, the mystery of iniquity. Why was Satan there? He's there. The Bible tells us, Isaiah and Ezekiel and Isaiah tell us, we don't know everything, but we know this, that God has made a way. God has made a new and living way. 
and the gospel brings me good news and I can get out of the mess that man finds himself in because he's got the, the answer is in the gospel, isn't it? So when the sacrifice came, when the person gave the sacrifice to Moses or the tabernacle, it was to propitiate God. We've got to get it, you know, God is love, but he hates sin. Totally hates it. He will not tolerate sin. The garden tells me that, but he's made a remedy. As David Pawson says, it says, God so loved the world, is whether you respond to that action of what God did in giving his son upon the cross, or whether or not you receive his love. It's available, but he doesn't love sin. He never will love sin. He hates it. And the propitiation is this. The design to propitiate God in the Old Testament sacrifices was not to affect man, but directed towards God, and the whole purpose was to propitiate God. You know, there's these people now that were on that plane where that chap had depression and took it down into that. Some of those people are very angry, aren't they? My son was on that plane. How did that airline allow a man with depression to sit in the cockpit and, and be, you know, a little bit loopy and allow that plane to go down like that? When, or when somebody's been injured, they want retribution, don't they? Propitiation. God had to be propitiated, and that's what Jesus did. He took the wrath of God against sin, and that's when he began to no longer look like an, even an injured man. He didn't even look like a man, because suddenly he took the whole wrath of God against sin, and his visage was marred more than any man. No wonder when they was in, you know, when Mary went to the tomb, and she came back and told Peter, but the tomb is empty, he's risen. If you'd have been with the three Marys at the foot of the cross and looked upon Jesus and seen that blood sprinkling down and seen that emaciated carcass of a man embalmed and put in the tomb, but he's risen. This is the miracle of the gospel. The miracle power of God. The psalmist says in Psalm, it could not hold him. It could not hold Jesus. Why? Because he was just and righteous. He laid down his life. He is the Lamb of God. He is the Lamb. And the Lamb is the central theme. The blood is the central theme of the Bible. You cannot take the blood out of the Bible. The bloodline runs right through Scripture. The Lamb runs right through the Scripture. Why? The Lamb of God, John the Baptist said, that taketh away the sin of the world. We have a Christianity today that doesn't like the blood. They say we don't like all this wallowing in blood. That's blasphemy in my opinion. Because we are justified by the blood. We have entrance by the blood. We are redeemed by the blood. There is no remission of sins but by, by the blood of sprinkling. The blood is absolutely central to our Christianity. Why? Because... I'll read you something that I, I was surprised to read. I was surprised to read this. And this is in Numbers 35, 34. 
And if you read in Numbers, God gives Moses instructions how to deal with people who commit murder and places of refuge and all that kind of thing. And this is what it says. The land cannot be cleansed of the blood that is shed therein, but by the blood of him that shed it. You think, you think when Cain slew Abel, this is what God said to Abel. The voice of God came from heaven to Abel and said, the voice of your brother's blood crieth unto me from the ground. The blood was crying out to God from the ground. Well, that speaks of death. But the blood of Jesus that was shed speaks of life. Is speaking life to you now. That blood that was shed is speaking life to you. It's through the blood of sprinkling. That sprinkled blood. If you'd have looked at Jesus on the cross, there was all this blood sprinkling down everywhere. It was all coming down his body. Everywhere there was sprinkled blood. And I was thinking, but he took... Not only our sins and our sicknesses and our pains, as you read in Isaiah 53, but he took the wrath of God against sin. Another word for propitiation is translated in the new translations as mercy seat. It's the mercy seat where we come. And you can come when you fail and find what grace to help in time of need. The blood of Jesus is so important. It says in Romans 3.25, we are justified freely by his grace through what? The redemption that is in Christ Jesus. But you say, how does God ransom us? Redemption means ransoming. And how does God ransom us? The answer is he set forth Jesus as a propitiation or a propitiatory sacrifice for our sins. And how has he done that? In what sense is our Lord the propitiatory sacrifice? Oh, how easy the propitiatory mercy seat for us? And the answer it is in his blood. The blood of Jesus. How important is the blood of Jesus. The blood of the Lord Jesus in connection with our redemption and salvation is something that is always emphasized in Scripture. Acts 20, 18 says, Paul's farewell words to the church, feed the church of God, which he what? Purchased with his own blood. In Romans 5, 9, we've been justified now by his blood. In Ephesians 4, 7, we have redemption through his blood. In Ephesians 2, 3, we are made nigh by the blood. In Hebrews 9, 12, neither by the blood of goats or cows, but by his own blood, he entered into the heavenly place. So Jesus not only had to cleanse, as it were, he had to cleanse the heavens. Satan had messed up the heavens. And when Jesus rose triumphant and entered in in Psalm 24, he went into heaven 
and Satan was cast out. And that's what it says there. That's it. We overcome him, how? By the blood of the Lamb and the word of your testimony. When you take the blood out of the gospel, you're defeated. But we overcome him by the blood of the Lamb and the word of our testimony. Isn't it wonderful? Praise God. It's wonderful what Jesus has done. And I believe, you know, we have to understand that you know, I, I won't read all these scriptures because of the sake of time. But you can read them all, the scripture after scripture, about how Jesus became our vicarious sufferer and he suffered for us. Jesus said this in Mark 9.30, The Son of Man is delivered into the hands of men and they shall kill him. And after he's killed, he shall rise the third day. In Matthew 17.22, he says, The Son of Man shall be betrayed into the hands of men and they shall kill him. And the third day he shall be raised again. In Matthew 16.22, it says, And began Jesus to show to his disciples how he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things of the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and be raised the third day. And he says in Matthew 20.18, Behold, we go to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man shall be betrayed into the chief priests, the scribes, and they shall condemn him to death and deliver him to the Gentiles to mock him and to scourge him, to crucify him, on the third day he will rise again. And he began to teach them in Matthew Mark 8, he said, The Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected of the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed, and after three days rise again. In Luke 9, the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected of the chief priests and be slain, but raised the third day. Jesus kept telling those disciples what's going to happen, but they didn't hear it. And you know you can be in church, and the truth can be coming to you, but you don't hear it. You have to have ears to hear what the Spirit is saying to the church. And somehow, if we can look, see the cost that was paid, and the tremendous price, we will appreciate what we have in God more than all these other things. When did Jesus said, seek first the kingdom and his righteousness and all these things. Don't seek these things, seek him first. And you know, when I was thinking about this, I thought, is this what Jesus said? He that taketh not his cross and followeth me is not worthy of me. Matthew 10.38 and the NLT says if you refuse to take up your cross and follow me you're not worthy of being mine and he that findeth his life shall lose it and he that loseth his life for my sake shall find it he says he that taketh not his cross in Matthew 10.38 and followeth after me he's not worthy of me and whosoever doth not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciples Then Jesus said these these telling words. He said, Fear not them which kill the body, but are not able to kill the soul, but rather fear him which is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. 
In Luke 12, 4 and 5, he says, Be not afraid of them that kill the body, and after have no more power they can do. But I forewarn you of whom you shall fear. Fear him which after you have killed hath power to cast into hell. Jesus also said these telling words, he said in Mark 9.44, Where the worm dieth not, and the fire is not quenched, and if thy foot offend thee, cut it off, it's better for you to enter halt into life than having two feet to be cast into hell, into the fire that never shall be quenched. Where the worm dieth not, and the fire is not quenched. It says at the end of Isaiah 66, and they shall go forth and look upon the carcasses of the men that have transgressed against me, for their worm shall not die, neither shall their fire be quenched, and they shall be an abhorring unto all flesh. Jesus, it says in Psalm 22, became a worm that you don't have to go there. He became a worm. He was trampled on like a worm. He was devalued. He was scorned. He was forsaken. He cried, he says, in I'm a worm, in verse 6, and no man, a reproach of men, and despised of people. But you don't, he took that curse so you don't have to go to the cursed place. We got to face reality. This is a matter of life and death. It's a matter whether you enjoy eternity or whether you enjoy hell, which you won't. You know, there's something about a worm. You can put a worm, you know, it's almost like typifying what Christ did upon the cross. You can put a worm on a hook and you can catch the fish. Well, Jesus caught the fish. I'm one of them. He's a fisher of men. And I was thinking, everything that's spoken in Psalm 22, of all these sufferings, it says, they scorned at him, they shook their head at him, they sneered at him. Um, they looked upon his helplessness all his bones were out of joint. He felt like water poured out. His strength was dried up. His tongue cleaved to his jaw. He was enclosed. His hands and his feet were pierced. All his bones could be seen. They parted his garments. They cast lots for his vesture. And he said, save me from the lion's mouth. And then suddenly after all this 21 descriptions of his suffering, you step into 22, and this is the, ye that, he says, I will declare your name unto my brethren in the midst of the congregation will I praise thee. Ye that fear the Lord, praise him, all the seed of Jacob, glorify him, and fear him, all the seed of Ajah, for he hath not despised nor abhorred the affliction of the afflicted Neither hath he hid his face from him, but when he cried, he heard. And in your affliction, because of what Jesus has done, when you cry, he will hear you. He will hear you. 
He's been through everything and much more than any one of us. Much more than what David went through in fleeing from Saul. The terrible persecution against his life. But when we look at Jesus, we see a tremendous victory. We see a tremendous power of sin and death and hell being broken. But it cost Jesus his life. He is the Lamb of God. And so when we come together, we must come to worship him. He's worthy of all our honor and praise and thanksgiving, isn't he? He's paid the ultimate price to give us eternal life. Isn't it wonderful? You've got eternal life. How long am I going to live at my age? I don't know. But I've got Christ in me. I've got a resurrection coming. There's a resurrection coming. There's a new heaven and a new earth coming. There's a city four square coming. There's a new Jerusalem coming. And you're part of it. And I'm a lively stone. Are you a lively stone? Have you got life in you? Can you feel this life? Can you experience this life? And he goes on to say, and the meek, in verse 26, shall eat and be satisfied. We're here to feast upon the Lamb and sprinkle the blood over your household. When you come together, it's a time of feasting. This is not religion. Jesus is into feasting in a big way. It's feasting. Isn't it? Why? Because he's won the victory. He's won the victory. He's triumphed over hell and death. He holds the keys of death and hell. Let me read you what it says to John the Apostle says in the book of Revelation. I'm getting very warm up here. Let's see what Hallelujah. It's wonderful, isn't it? Hallelujah. He says, Blessed are they, verse 99, that are called to the marriage supper of the Lamb. These, and I fell at his feet to worship him. And he said to me, See thou do it not, I am thy fellow servant. I have the testimony of Jesus. Worship God for the testimony of Jesus. And I saw heaven opened. And I behold a white horse. And he that sat upon it was faithful and true. And in righteousness he judged. His eyes was a flame of fire. His head were many crowns. And he had a name written that no man knew but himself. He was clothed with a vesture dipped in blood. Closed with a vesture dipped in blood, it says. And his name is called the Word of God. We've got this Word. We overcome him by the Word of our testimony and the blood of the Lamb. When Satan attacks you next, you plead the blood. You use the name of Jesus against him. He cannot cross the bloodline. The bloodline has purchased your redemption. And the word of your testimony. You say, I am more than a conqueror. The greater one lives in me.
I am born of God. I'm redeemed. I'm delivered. I'm healed. I'm restored. I'm lifted up. And you can rise, start rising and praising God. We are called to be servants of God, to lift our hands in worship, aren't we? Every day. Just lift your hands in worship and say, Lord Jesus, I worship you. Thank you for paying the ultimate price to pay for my redemption. It's a perfect redemption. You, as Henry used to say, enter in. We can enter in where they couldn't enter in before. Jesus tore the veil away. And we can enter in this morning because we have a great high priest that is moved with the feelings of your infirmities. And his hand is there to touch your life. And when he touches it, everything changes. Everything changes when he touches your life. You know, I came down, I wasn't very well coming down. In the middle of the night, the devil said to me, oh, you're ill, there's something wrong with you. I said, is there? I said, I'm a child of God. I said, thank you, Lord, I have the victory over this. And you have the victory. We overcome him. How? The blood of the Lamb. And the word of your testimony. He's been cast down. You're seated with Christ in heavenly places. He used to be there, but he can't get there now. So that's the secret place where you go. And you sit with your heavenly Father. And you enjoy his presence. And you lift up your hands and say, Thank you, Lord, for this tremendous salvation. Thank you, Lord, for delivering me. Thank you, Lord, for lifting me up into heavenly places. And I can sit with you and enjoy your presence. Is anything too hard for the Lord? No. No. (laughs) One touch from Jesus. Just one touch from Jesus. And everything changes. Isn't it wonderful? You can make it. The greater ones in you, as he is, so are you in this world. Isn't that right? As he is. Where is he now? In the glory. Yeah. My favorite scripture, Hebrews 12. Let me finish then. Gosh, it's getting late. says, seeing we are compassed about with a great cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight. Don't let the enemy weigh you down. Get rid of the weights. (laughs) Isn't it? Get rid of the rubbish, as I said before. The Holy Ghost has got a spiritual tip. He'll take it there. Get rid of it. And sin that does so easily beset you, looking unto Jesus, who, the author and the finisher of the faith, who what? For the joy that was set before him endured the cross. Why? Because he could see the end. And you can see the end because you're a victor in Christ. (laughs) You're a victor in Christ. No matter what you're going through, the morning heart... (laughs) There's a morning coming, 
And there's a resurrection, isn't there? Looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher, who for the joy, despising the shame, what did he do? He was set down at the right hand of God the Father. You know, some people think they're going to rebuild all this old temple. And all the pots and all this scraping around down there. All these people scraping around, oh no. There's a new Jerusalem coming down. City four square. It's coming down from heaven. Connie used to sing about it. Didn't she? She was always singing about that city. Wasn't she? Connie. What is it? And Roy Turner used to sing about, I am going to a city where the streets are paved with gold. (laughs) There's a new Jerusalem coming. Are you getting ready? I'm getting ready. I want you to get ready. Don't let the devil get you down. Don't let him get at you. You overcome him by the blood of the Lamb and the word of your testimony. (coughs) Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. What does it go on to say in Hebrews 12? For you have come unto where? (coughs) Excuse me. Mount Zion. Where's Mount Zion? Heavenly Jerusalem. That's where we come this morning. We're here, but we want to ascend. We need to ascend the hill of the Lord to Mount Zion to um, the city of the living God. Not the earthly Jerusalem, the heavenly Jerusalem. (laughs) To a numerable company of angels, the general assembly, the church of the firstborn. Are you born? Have you been quickened? Some people need to be quickened. They do. They got it up knowledge up here. But as Henry used to say, they need to be born again, again. <laughs> they need to be quickened. There's some people look at them and you think, something missing. Something needs to happen here. <laughs> They need a resurrection, don't they? (laughs) They're like the two on the road to Emmaus, but we thought. Yeah, we thought, yeah. Well, it's not we thought, we know. (laughs) Isn't it? We know. I need to be quickened, don't you, each day? I need a quickening, don't you? At my age, I need a quickening. I do. You need a quickening. You are the quickened. Woo! <laughs> we need to feel it. A lot of people don't like this feeling Christianity. They think it's a little bit over the top. But Christmas Evans was like that till he walked one day from Dolgetley to McCuntleth over Cadre and suddenly God t- hit him. Power of God hit him. <laughs> I could hit Henry under the stairs. <laughs> and he can hit you and me. We need a dose. We need the anointing, don't we? We need it. Oh Lord, help us to receive it, he says. And he says, we come to this and we come to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant. How? By the blood of sprinkling. That speaketh better things. Better things than that of Abel. 
Abel spoke of death, but this blood speaks of life. It's speaking now to you. It's speaking. It speaketh better things than out of Abel. Hallelujah. We thank you this morning, Lord. We thank you for the power of the blood that still flows. It still flows. The eternal blood that was shed still flows. I need to be washed in the word each day. I need to be cleansed by the blood each day. I need to apply the blood. I remember sitting in a meeting, I think Richard was only about three. We went to Birmingham and we listened to Derek Prince speak about the power of the blood. And in this church he said, now you're all going to stand. And I am going to apply the blood of Jesus to your lives. Wow. When he started, I thought, whoa, what on earth is happening in this place? It felt like the whole place was electric. The whole place was sort of shaking with the power of God. He overcome Satan. There's power in the blood. tremendous power in the blood of Jesus let us never forget it keep looking at Jesus if you think I'm going through it read Psalm 22 and read those sufferings Jesus went through for you so you don't have to be a worm and end up in hell a worm so that you don't have to suffer because he took all our sufferings he took all our pains he took all our sicknesses We're supposed to enter into life. As Hebrew says, enter in. Enter in. Enter in. Unbelief will keep you out. But faith comes by hearing. And as you read this word each day, so faith comes. Enlightenment comes. Understanding comes. And you suddenly begin to see things you never saw before. (laughs) It's wonderful. Oh yeah, there's nothing like the anointed. (laughs) Oh, it's joy unspeakable and full of glory. (laughs) It's joy unspeakable and full of glory. It says for the joy that was set before him. That's faith. And you can say for the joy that's set before me, I ain't going to win. I ain't going to win because I'm a winner. So praise God this morning. It's been good to be with you. Good to share the word of God. We live it. This is a special time when we remember what Jesus did for us, isn't it? It's wonderful. God has been so long-suffering for me. He's had his problems with me. Maybe you've been better than me. (laughs) But he's been so long-suffering. Irene knows she's had to live with me for 40 odd years. (laughs) <laughs> if she had known what she was marrying she probably would have never married me <laughs> she was warned <laughs> but Saint Irene Saint Irene has kept me on the straight and narrow I'm still here <laughs> God is faithful isn't he God is faithful.
He's ever living to make intercession for you. He never slumbers. He never sleeps. And he's there to dish out your inheritance. Are you going to come to the table and sit down and eat? Or are you going to be like the elder brother? Oh no, I don't want that. I'm walking outside. No. <laughs> it's time to eat and drink. <laughs> Isn't it wonderful? Praise the Lord. We thank you, Lord, this morning that we've been in your presence. We thank you, Lord, that we can feel your presence here. We know that you're touching your people and encouraging your people and feeding your people, Lord, the sheep of your pasture. Lord, we thank you, Lord, what you did for us. And we pray that in the days ahead, we will serve you with a pure heart and a pure conscience. In Jesus' name, amen. Praise the Lord.